and enjoy the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Broadcast. Dependable Dave Filoni and crew create Rebels with new characters, new places, and new adventures. Thus, keeping hope alive for this podcast. Welcome to J-Guys and Jedi. Hi everyone, welcome to a brand new episode of J-Guys and Jedi, a weekly podcast covering every episode of Star Wars Rebels. In this episode, Kara leads the rebel attack on the Imperial blockade at Lothal, with Grand Admiral Blue Husbando Thrawn determined to stop her. There will be... Mom, fistfight! Kanan almost runs over a wolf. And I kind of like Mart from Iron Squadron now. Sort of. We'll talk about it. We're talking about Rebel Assault this week. How you doing, Chris? Good. What do you mean you like him or you like him? Is he joining the ranks of uh No, God, he's like he's like sixteen. Ew. <laughs> I just like him as a character now. Oh, okay. <laughs> you know, and, and I go into it. Like there's there's he's still a bit of a cocky asshole, but you know, it's different and I'll get into this. So yeah, I'm gonna yeah, cra- crash landing usually can uh cure you of that or uh knock that out of you a little bit. Yeah. You having a good week so far, man? So far, so good, yeah. I'm doing okay. It's been a little up and down week, but today today was a good day. I I finally was a, like approved after like two months for like unemployment, so I'm just like, oh my god, income. <laughs> Thank God. Ber- I'm not Bernice gonna... is being a crab. <gasps> you didn't have Bernice the kitty. Yeah, Bernice is being a crab. It was really hot yesterday. She, she and my roommate are fighting for dominance of the couch. Bernice like wants the couch, and the couch is my roommate's. That's where she, that's where she lives. And uh, Bernice is just, just mean. Sometimes she'll sit, she'll sit down next to her, and then you know my roommate will be reaching for something, and then claw. And so she gets bumped off the couch and stews on the floor. Today she's been good though. Today she's been like friendly and letting us pet her for. The, she'll be petting you and like all friendly, and then she's mad and hissing and growling. A new cat has to get used to it. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That's she's it, she's yeah. getting there. She's anyway. still recovering from not being half starved too. So, you know. Yeah, I mean we've had Deb for a year, and every once in a while he just does those things of just like, now I'm feral. But like, like it's calming down. Like it was really bad when we first got him, but he's calming down. But he's still kind of—he's a teenager too, so he has that teenager cat energy. Yeah. Well, I need to make an announcement. So you guys, next week we're gonna have a guest, and I'm so excited. We're gonna have Candace from Geeky Girl Gab podcast with us next week to talk about Jedi Knight. And she is awesome. Um, I was actually on her show, and we discussed uh, 
they, they talk about all sorts of things, but they've been doing a Star Wars rewatch. And I was on their episode for Rogue One, which I know is out by the time this episode comes out because uh, I saw her finishing up the editing today. So I was on the Rogue One episode with them, and I invited Candace to come talk with us next week. So I'm very excited. So go check out Geeky Girl Gab. They're really, really sweet over there, and they're really just super smart and funny and nice, and I really enjoy their show. So. But I'm excited about that guest. Me guest too. Next week. Me too. I, we've never gone wrong with a guest yet. We've had such good guests, man. Yes, we I, have. I mean, I am just, I'm just so excited. And we're, I know we're going to do Clone Wars first, but I'm already planning like four different guests for whenever we get to Resistance. Cause We've I'm never like, even gone wrong when we were guests either. Just being guests have been, has a worked lot of out fun. good too. Yeah. 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 We, we definitely, um, I was thinking about Bucho and Robbie for somewhere in Clone Wars and then. I was thinking like four different people for resistance when we get there too. So I'm, I'm scheming guests. And of course, if yeah, you're... that's the thing is after every one of our guests, we're both sort of scheming on when to get them back on again. I know. I know. So if you're listening and you want to be a guest, reach out and we'll talk. So, <laughs> cause usually it's me going like, Hey, you want to be on our show? But if you want to be on the show, just reach out and we'll talk about it. So, all right. You ready to get into rebel assault? I am. Did you did you like the episode? I did. I yes, I did. I think this is my favorite of season four so far. I you know you know I might be might be with you on that. Yeah, I I really liked this episode a lot. Um, it was just firing on, because when I was going into it, I was like, it's just one long battle. But the more I was watching, I was like, there's a lot of stuff in this episode. There's stuff going on. There's stuff going on in it. But it's Star Wars and it's doing all of the Star Wars stuff. Yeah, I, I absolutely like I, I had more notes than I thought I would have. And I was surprised by the amount of notes I had. And when I finished, I was like, I really enjoyed it. Because I've only seen, other than, like, World Between Worlds in the finale, I've only seen season four once. Um, I, I've rewatched those other two episodes, like, multiple times. But, yeah, so this it's been, so far, rewatching these for the second time for me, I this was probably the one I liked the most, by far. So, all right, you ready? I am. am. <clears throat> Rebel Assault is the 68th episode of Star Wars Rebels, and it was released on November 13th, 2017. I meant to look this up. I think it was the mid-season finale. I think. It was written by Dave Filoni and Stephen Melching, and it was directed by Stuart Lee. Some extra information for you. This episode marks the debut of the classic X-Wing in Star Wars Rebels. The ships have a green livery painted on them that's not seen in Rogue One or A New Hope. Because they all crashed. I just wanted to sarcastically point out, and I wrote this note before I felt, I actually was like, oh man, Mart's a really good character. But I'm going to read it anyway. I want to sarcastically point out that this is, point this out, because I know that Chris loves this character so much, I said sarcastically. But this episode marks the return of Mart Matten from the Iron Squadron. I wrote that I before. I, I, I remembered his name and I forgot that he was from Iron Squadron. He was so not annoying in this one. I know. <laughs> I didn't even remember he was an Iron Squadron. I just thought he was one. I was just like, ah, I think he's one of Wedge's buddies. <laughs> well, he is now. 
Anyway, in Rebels Recon for this episode, Dave Filoni states that the rest of Iron Squadron is back on Yavin base, providing support, but Goody, who is the girl of the group, is now a lieutenant. As for the X-Wings, they originally wanted to create a new designed X-Wing for Rebels. They were thinking of taking the X-Wing-looking ships from the Republic during the Clone Wars series and show uh, and show how they evolved. What did I write? What the fuck? Let me redo this line, sorry. They were originally thinking of taking the X-Wing-looking Republic ships from the Clone Wars series and show how the original trilogy X-Wings evolved from that place. But since they had already redesigned the TIE Fighters to match their 70s counterparts, they decided to go with a more classic look for the X-Wings instead. Though, they still tweaked the classic X-Wing design to make it feel like a little earlier in the timeline and fit the Rebels' aesthetic. Dave Filoni touched a little bit on the Lothwolves and Kanan, saying that Kanan is starting to understand that they're a guide for him. They're helping him refocus on what's important. Dave says that Kanan knows the truth of what's going on in his life and what he needs to do to be the person he's meant to be. Guides can only get him so far, but he has to take the action and own the action. And then for the Rebels Recon for A World Between Worlds, Pablo Hidalgo confirmed, as of this episode, Rebel Assault, Hera is now promoted to general. She was more than likely promoted for this very mission. He equated this to Han and Lando becoming generals right before the Battle of Endor. You know who's also a general, but it was during the Clone Wars? Oh, yes. Mm, stand up and salute. Yes. <laughs> How you doing, Yoda? General. I'm sorry, General Yoda. General. Yes, General Yoda. Mmm, at ease. <laughs> With your battle ostrich. Mmm, nice legs. <laughs> the battle ostrich? Yes, strong <laughs> legs. <laughs> Well, how you doing this week, Yoda? Not bad, not bad. Yoda's been hydrated, yes. Hey, man, hydrate or dihydrate. <clears throat> <laughs> well, I have a question for you. You ready? Yes. If they ever made a Yoda-sized X-Wing, would you fly around in it? No, no. Yoda flies big boy X-Wing. <clears throat> like a big Yoda. Like Big boy, yes, like Anakin. Mmm. Put boxes on the on the brake and the gas. He does. Mmm. Yes. Anakin, Anakin does? No, Yoda does. Oh, okay. <laughs> I love the idea of Anakin sitting on boxes. He's like, I'm a big boy now. <laughs> Maybe in Phantom Menace. So you wouldn't fly like a tiny specialized X-wing? Boom, boom. Why, like little child? No. Well, it'd probably be Yoda, like faster. Big boy. It'd probably be faster and harder to hit and stuff. Yoda's the wisest, strongest Jedi Master. Gets big boy ship. Mm. Well, you are the general, so you could command to have a big ship. Yoda wants a Y-wing. Mm. But why? Ah! <laughs> That's the oldest Star Wars trick in the book. Wow. I think he thought he made a joke. I know. I'm so, I'm so proud of him. And it wasn't a dirty joke. No. This feels weird. He's losing it. I don't know how he's hydrating. He might be hydrating. Who knows what he's hydrating with? It might be coming through his skin. You know, just like lays in the water and just... Oh, that's true. Oh, absorbs yeah. through his skin. Osmosis. 
can you imagine trying to catch him when he was all slicked up with like like yoda fish oh he would like that too much <laughs> just like slip and slide around yeah, like, like a, a greased, greased up pig. pig yeah like a greased pig contest i've always wondered how to catch a greased pig i, I never wanted to try i haven't seen a good greased pig contest in a long time yeah it's been a while not since the days of my youth anyway act one act one ah tiny burp here we go act one it's time for the rebels to take out the tie defender factory on lethal let's get to it we open with the imperial blockade up in space surrounding lethal the baddies get a reading of several ships coming out of hyperspace and bam like emerald there's a there is general hera space mom syndula in her fleet ready to freaking go to town and fuck up some bad guys. Chopper is flying with Hera, and along with the ride is a bunch of nameless pilots and Mart from the Iron Squadron. There is a little shaver energy with this crew. Hera's team opens the little wing thingy is on the X-Wing, and it's time to get hot and spicy with some Imperials, because their wing X-Wing thing is a dumb hot wing joke anyway. But it's a bit sexy in here, because Thrawn kicks in the door to his Chimera Bridge and goes, Finally! It's been so long since I've gotten to... What if I pay off a uh, uh, go with... What? It's been so long since I've gotten to go... go. Face been... off. Face! Oh, I wrote C-A-E. It's been so long since I've gotten to K off against my sore enemy, Harrison Dula, who I respect and I'm a big fan of. Thrawn knows that they're targeting the TIE Defender Factory in the field depot. He's ready to tango with them, and Thrawn sends out actual teenage killer, Volt Scaris, to lead the fight. And the battle begins! On the ground of Lothal, the rest of the space family is setting up detonators to take out the anti-aircraft towers. Ryder and his team are helping out, and it's now up to the Hera to get to them. And they're all super hopeful for Space Mom and cheering her on. Who is kicking ass up in space? Hera's taking out ties. They're working as a team. It's going pretty okay so far. And then Volt Scaris comes out in his TIE Defender Elite, ready to salsa into the fray and he quickly takes out two of Hera's men. Hera quickly counters by taking out two of Scaris' TIE Fighters in one fell swoop. But Scaris realizes it's her, and he's excited to boogie. Back on the ground, the space family finishes setting up the detonators, and we learn that Zeb always drives the speeder by shoving Ezra to the back of one. And as they drive away, Sabine hits the button, and all the towers explode and fall. Which pisses off bitch wife Orinda Price, who calls up Blue Husbando going, Thrawn! The Rebels are blowing up my death toys! I need assistance! And Thrawn is like, God, do I have to do everyone's fucking jobs for them? And then, out of nowhere, my baby girl, Karen Farrow, comes out of the Thrawn books, and she opens the door and says, Sir... I wish I could be here to help you. I am your trusted second-in-command in the books, besides Eli Vanto. And I am a strong, capable woman. And I am a Commodore at this point in the series. Sadly, I seem to have been forgotten in Star Wars Rebels. 
Therefore, I regret to inform you that I cannot help you. My apologies, Grand Admiral. And Thrawn waves his hand, going, No need to apologize, Commodore Pharaoh. I understand that mistakes can be made with the story group, and these things occur. I am not blaming you for Arinda's mistakes, because you're one of the best characters in my current novel trilogy. And Karen and Thrawn respectfully salute each other, because she has to go back to the loving embrace of Timothy Zahn novels, where she came from, because apparently Star Wars Rebels will never fucking use her! Fuck off, animation team! Anyway, during all this, I have to go, I love Karen, I had to. Anyway, during all this, Hera is still battling Scaris and having trouble getting away from the speed and power of the TIE Defender Elite. She gets an idea and starts flying towards Thrawn's ship like she's going to attack it. Thrawn tells Scaris to break off his attack so that they can take care of Hera. Scaris, like any good, terrible Imperial, is like, I'm too good to listen to orders, sir. I am the new king of hubris. And Thrawn's like, I am not losing this battle because you want to be the king of hubris. All right, guys, open fire on them. And the Chimera opens fire and takes out both Hera and Scaris's shields, which is exactly what Hera wanted. Now, now at least the, it's a fair fight. With a little bit of fancy flying, Hera whoops around and takes out Scaris and the TIE Defender. This causes a chain reaction as the big ship that Scaris crashes into, then smashes into a bigger Star Destroyer, and it gives Hera's team an opening. The heroes form up and speed to the planet. But Thrawn isn't defeated yet, as he has a second wave waiting for them. Hera and her pilots make it up to the clouds, and then so freaking many TIE fighters are just waiting for them and start ripping her forces into pieces. And on the ground, the rest of the space family is ready to cheer on their space mom's victory until they see it. They see Hera's entire attack force plummeting out of the sky in flames, and they don't know if space mom is even alive anymore. What do you think of Aquan? Pretty good. I know, right? Finally, a nice old-fashioned X-Wing fight. It was beautifully done. Mm-hmm. Um... Just generally, be, like, I like how they did the city skyline in this. It looks like an old, like, poster, an old 20s poster or something like that, or an old movie poster. On on that note, it's it's kind of, I almost, I, I almost noted it, but there was no way, since this is an audio me- uh, medium, I couldn't show our listeners. But when Thrawn is talking to Orinda, and Orinda's like, they broke my towers, Thrawn. Um, behind her, and I don't think we've ever seen the shot of Lothal, I thought she was on Coruscant because there's, like, skyscrapers behind her. And it looks like the downtown district of Coruscant. And I was like, where's this downtown district of the city of Lothal, and why haven't we seen this yet? Because it looks like she's, it's, like, several skyscrapers behind her. And it looks really nice, and I I would like to see that. Yeah, it's all Art Nouveau. Yeah. Um, my only other note is, oh, look at Thrawn. Oh, my, my blockade. Don't worry. I got my blockade. Come on. <laughs> Don't worry. They won't get through my blockade. <laughs> it's so strong. I'm Thrawn. He took out their ships. Oh, yeah. I mean, Hera's lost her entire fleet and crashed because of Thrawn's plan. 
Thrawn promised them that they would not make it into the atmosphere. There would be not. Thrawn was basically promising them that they would not have to send out those X-wings. Those X-wings were cleaning up what what Thrawn's mess. They weren't. Thrawn Thrawn didn't plan for them to get in the atmosphere and X-wing them. He he said, Ah, don't worry. I'm not going to let a single one. I will not let a single ship through my blockade. My blockade. But he had a backup plan just in case, and the backup plan got him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But that's uh, but he was he was yeah, well yeah. But five minutes before that, he was just like, nobody gets past Thrawn ship, except he does it all like all self assured, and then what happens five minutes later? They're all getting by his blockade, just like always. That's all I got for part one. (laughs) I will say. At one point, he was like, they will not get to the depot. And I was like, what the fuck is a depot? Oh, the depot. The <laughs> I was depot. like, what's a depot? It took me a half a second to be like, oh, that's a Thrawn accent. British it's one movie. of the Marx brothers. I know. It's been so long because I, I, I also live in the South where Home Depot is from Atlanta and is based in Atlanta. So I'm so used to hearing the word depot. It's been probably years since I heard someone pronounce it a depot. And I was like, what the hell is a depot? Oh, wait, a I depot. know what a depot is. What? A depot. A depot. Um, I'm going to get my uh, couple trash notes out of the way. I know I went off and had a whole paragraph about Karen Farrow, but it really bothered me because by the time the season was made, the, the 2015 Thrawn book was already out, and they they knew that Karen was a Commodore by this fucking point. And I was just watching this entire episode going, she would be on the bridge with Thrawn. Like, where is she? Like, why are these men around her? Like, Karen's the fucking Commodore. She would be by his side. And it just really, so this, I, I know I brought this up multiple times before, but by this point, I'm just like, it, it's to the point where, like, me as a Thrawn fan who has read these books, it actually takes me out of the show to not see her there. Because she's such a pivotal, important, huge character in the fucking Thrawn books. And she's not in Rebels. And it actually gotten to the point where it takes me out of the show. And I'm just like, ah. Anyway, uh, that's number one trash note. Second trash note is Thrawn is hot. Hot. That's it. That's the note. Thrawn's just hot. I love him. Um, Hera and Chopper in an X-Wing is awesome. Uh, is that it for my little trash notes? Okay. Uh, when Hera gives the command to start the attack, there's just a little moment where Chopper waves his little arm like he's saying, let's go! And it's just really cute, and I like that moment. He's, like, so excited about it. Um, Zeb making Ezra ride bitch on speeder is great. And Zeb just has that little moment of just going, hop on, how dare you? <laughs> All right, now for my actual, actual notes. Um, See, I I had a thought on that. Is I think it would be better to have Zeb on the back. I think it would be better to have your speeder heavier on the back than on the front. It would be less likely to snag on something. So Zeb should really be in the back with the light guy on front, so their top end is tipped up a little bit. But that's just my two cents. I was thinking the other way around. Like if they did fall under attack, then Ezra has his lightsaber to defend them while Zeb drives. That's that's a too good too. Yeah, I mean it could go different ways, but I just love that little moment where he's just like, "Hop on! How dare you? <laughs> Get in the back!" 
actually Zeb can shoot too. So like yeah, if they get in trouble, right. Zeb can shoot at them till they get close, and then they can switch places, and Ezra can do lightsaber. They know all yeah. those tricks. And pretty much the rest of my notes are just kind of aesthetics things. Like, with the anti-aircraft towers that, like, Sabine and Kanan and all of them were taking out, with the sirens in the background, it was, it almost felt like an old World War II film. Um, because the anti-aircraft uh, towers reminded me a lot of, like, um, World War II footage. And then you have the sirens going off like with air raids Only it was the opposite. very it was kind of death star they reminded me of the tower the the gun towers on the death star the original death star yeah and like i remember I, I watched a lot of those air raid footages in school but usually you would see them from like the point of view of like england or france and this is just the opposite now with the nazis on the the star wars nazis using it um but it just gave me a very world war ii vibe and i and i thought that was a really nice aesthetic um, I love the shot of the binoculars of Hera's attack force just crashing and then the image of them falling out of the sky against the sunset. It's such a pretty... Was that what you were saying? Like, it looks like a postcard? Yeah, or a poster or something. It looks like a, a, a theater card or something, you know? It looks like a stylized, almost flattened orange depiction of an Art Nouveau city with a big... It's all very... It's almost Oz-like in its like composition it's got a big round fiddly thing in the middle and sort of matching skyscrapers on either side it's very very pretty actually one of um when you said poster um it's not exactly that but one of the season four posters promo promotional posters is the entire team silhouetted and then lethal is like in a sunset in the background so it's actually very similar to one of the promo posters for season four um, the only difference is, is Hera is standing with them, and there's Lothcats. <laughs> um, the only other note I had, and because as always, animation just does really great space battles. They're just really, really good on it. But I started, I got to thinking about this, and I, I know we talked about this in our commentaries. Um, you had more of a problem with this with the entire sequel trilogy. I had more of a problem with this with Trust. Um, but it seems like in, in the case of the sequel trilogy that for some reason there's just something off about their space battles and it's sometimes like either they're hard to follow or we don't know exactly what's going on but then and I was thinking about something like Clone Wars like we were praising Clone Wars for that final sequence of Rex and Ahsoka escaping in the Y-Wing and then we've seen Rebels over and over and over again through these just amazing space battles Zero Hour is a really good example because pretty much the entire episode of Zero Hour is just one long space battle and you always know what's happening. And what like what do you think? Like do you think there's just a disconnect? Is it creator? Is there just a lack of thought no, behind the sequel trilogy? Like what why do you think, think there's a disconnect? I think ever since Return Return of the Jedi each the, the original three Star Wars movies topped each other in space battles but by return of the jedi you were starting to get that mush effect you know where it wasn't just sort of like where you couldn't always keep track of everything that was going on and it was spectacular then because nobody's seen it since or had seen it before i mean but since then we've gotten cgi so you can just fill this, you know, when you have the budget, you can fill the screen 
and I don't think there's been the the only great space battle was in like I would say Rogue on, One. On, it was in Episode Three, I think. I would say the, Rogue One. Rogue One also had well, a really good. good I'm space I'm battle. talking about the nine movies. Rogue One is like the only movie since Return of the Jedi that had a well, no, I I would say Episode Three too. That opening battle in Episode Three. Even though it was a mush of a million things going on, it pulled you through it in a very exciting way, and you did you still could figure out what was going on. I don't think the the new trilogy there's a decent space battle in any of it that that intrigued me. But in Clone Wars and Rebels, there's been plenty of them, and I think that's a combination of the people who are making it and the limitations on budget. So you can't just do a big swimming battle. You do, you you have to plan it out and w- to get what you want to get done in it, and it ends up being easier to follow and more more exciting that way. You know. That's my answer too, um, because <laughs> I almost wrote in the Disney era, but then I started thinking about it, and I v- I very recently watched Rogue One because I was on Candace's podcast, who was our guest next week. Um, I I recently watched Rogue One, and you can easily follow that battle. Um, from the space battle and how they get through the shield all the way down to the ground. Like, it just pulls you through perfectly, and you always know what's happening. There's not there's not a single moment where I was ever confused, unlike when I was watching Tross, where I was just like, I don't know what ship is posed. I don't know where anybody is. What is happening? Um, but your answer is my answer, which I think it all comes down to budget. Because with the original trilogy, you know, they only had so many budget, and they were also using practical effects that they could... And, that they could only have like so many ships and animation has that budget that they're always constantly pushed against. And so they can only animate so many things, which it's, it's less is more, you know, they don't need to put like 12 million CGI ships because they only need what Hera had something with like 24 ships and that's all she needed versus Thrawn's fleet. And you always know what's happening. So I, I, I think it is a budget thing, which is, gives it the less is more effect and you always know what's happening and that's my answer too minus rogue one that's why i didn't include rogue one and i just focus on the sequel trilogy because rogue one is just so well done rogue one one space battle feels like an old school star wars space battle it's it's truly exciting it's exciting and the prequels had some good set pieces on them, but they they were mostly not they were mostly not set in space. They were mostly set on the ground. Something going on in the ground. Yeah, because even like Phantom Menace, um, the only real space battle is focused on Anakin when he is flying up there and he takes out the the um. Yeah, and it wasn't that ex- it wasn't that exciting, you know. I was yeah. not. But Not even like, then, like you're only really focusing on one ship because nobody else matters in that scene. So right. you're it, it only has like the one viewpoint because you're focused on what yes. Anakin's doing. Yeah, not and then the every, overall battle. Yeah. Yeah, and then everything else is on the ground. So, um, yeah, that's my answer as well. So, but that's all I had for Act One. Did you have anything else? I'm ready for Act Two. All right. Uh, uh, yeah. Uh, double burp. Act t- Two burps for. T- Act two, here we go. Act two! So some smug little redhead Imperial who I actually thought was Hux for like half a second and I was like, Hux isn't even born at this point, I don't think. Either that or Hux is a teen, uh, is a toddler. He's very young, so it took me a second to realize that it wasn't Hux. But the little redhead shitty Imperial, whose name is Waldar, 
comes in and tells Thrawn that their precious little Imperial factory is okay. But it seems like Hera and a couple of her team members were able to crash land in the capital city. So Thrawn calls up his good old buddy Rook, who I am always happy to see because I love Rook. He tells Rook to capture them alive, especially Hera. Back with the space family, the Imperial gunships are closing in on them. But Kanan is scared for his space wife and desperately tries to call her. They have to get out of there before they're spotted, and Ezra comforts Kanan, saying that they will get Hera back. But as they're driving along down the highway, Kanan suddenly stops. He decides he's going back for her. Ezra gives Kanan the okay because he believes in his dad. And Kanan turns and heads back to the city. In the city, Hera's ship has crash-landed. She's unconscious, but Chopper is okay. Friendly reminder that Chopper survived a ship crash like this in Clone Wars, where his original pilot died. So Chopper is rightfully going, Not again! I will not let this happen again! And he flies out of his droid hole and starts beating on the cockpit window going, Hera, wake up! You gotta wake up! I'm not losing you too, damn it! And he opens the hatch and the injured Hera wakes up and stumbles out of it. Suddenly, citizens are coming towards her. They warn her that the Empire is coming and she needs to get out of there. They tell her how to escape. Hera thanks them for their kindness and limps out of there with Chopper while hiding from the gunship looking for them. Chopper can't even contact their friends because his transmitter was damaged in the crash. Meanwhile, Ari Price is having a fun time playing war and taking all the credit for herself because Rook's working really, really hard right now, you guys, but Ari don't care. And because Rook... And then that. Because Rook is rounding up the rebels... Rook rounding up the rebels. It's a little hard to say. Because Rook is rounding up the rebel pilots that have survived so far, Ari is like, and that's one more pilot for my achievement board that I can then show Thrawn and make him fall in love with me. And Rook is like, uh, please leave me out of this. Another trooper comes up and tells Ari that they found Hera's ship, but Hera's not there. And Ari gets her eye on the prize and decides that this would be a great time to prove her love. She tells them to lock down the entire area and find Chop and find Hera. About to say Chopper, but Chopper's with her too. And Hera's on the move through the streets with Chopper. They hear a distress beacon, and it sounds like one of their own droids. Hera and Chopper head over there and see Mart, cornered by stormtroopers. Acting fast, Hera sneaks onto an Imperial tank and happens to find the one stormtrooper who is looking at his iPad and playing Angry Birds. Do, do kids still play Angry Birds? I don't know. She knocks the guy out and steals the tank. Mart sees her in it, and he springs the attack, and together they take out the guards. Hera comes out and says that they should use Mart's astromech transmitter to call, and help, to call for help and put it on Chopper. She gets to work taking it off. Meanwhile... And the backdrop of some really jaunty sneaking around music, Rook is slinking across the rooftops of the city. He gets a scent on Hera and moves in. Just as she gets the the just as she gets the dish on Chopper, Rook shows up and has them cornered. What'd you think of Act Two? Not bad. I only have one note for hmm. this really. It's uh, it's just uh, I was as I was watching this and like with Hera moving around and the way that she was lit in it, like the the way they lit her was kind of stylized with the dark background. And uh, 
it looks like maybe either for this episode or just in the natural production of Clone Wars or uh, yeah, Rebels, we've we've taken another sort of jump up in animation quality because for some reason it just looks extra extra pretty smooth and fluid in this episode can i can i ask like are you talking like in general or when she crashes or when she's in all the of, in everything in oh, okay. everything there's a lot of just attention to to nice details the backgrounds look like ralph mccrory paintings which they do quite often but it's usually the like the the back backgrounds you know the rough bat like the mountains and in, in the city in the background but like just stuff like you know a, a city street or a background of crates and boxes and stuff still looks very ralph mcquarrie color scheme and the way it's drawn um yeah i don't know it, it just it just has an extra la layer either of they either put extra work into this one I I I, I want to see like the next one because obviously it's a continuation of this story. So if it is, it should have the same sort of sort of stepped up quality. But that's all I got. So I'm gonna get my shit note out of the way. Here we go. So in the scene right before the end, when Rook is about to come up on Hera and Mart, there's a scene of him jumping from rooftop to rooftop. And he jumps off the wall and he lands in like this little overhand hanging awning thing. And he, then he lands on, lands on the ground. The music in that scene is so upbeat and peppy that I had to laugh because it sounds like a music that they would almost use for Ezra. Like he's going through, Rook is going through the rooftops and the music's just like, dun 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 but it, it was it was almost like an Ezra sneaking around theme song, and, I, and I, it, it was in a major key, and it was so peppy and upbeat and lively, and I'm just like. Well, I'm gonna steal a note from part three on mine if we're since we're talking about Rook is I didn't find Rook as, and and maybe that had to do with it is, but I didn't find him as threatening or as as you know potentially um badass of a character in this one as i did in in his introduction now he's just now he's just sort of back into flunky mode i'm wondering if it's because he doesn't have to like he's supposed to capture Hera alive so he can't like super injure her i think it'd be different if Thrawn was like yeah just murder her <laughs> i think he would be like Rah! but yeah, he has he... to ca he's under orders to get get her alive he just he he doesn't have the the same threatening character feel to him that he did in the last episode. But it just it just made me laugh, and it completely took me out of the scene because he's just like he jumps onto an awning and like rolls down the awning and like lands on the ground, and the whole time the music's like dun 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 dun. dun. <laughs> like what is happening right now? <laughs> completely took me out of the scene, but it was so hilarious. Um, my other shit note was, oh my god, Chopper saving Hera's life and getting her out of the burning X-Wing is just such a good moment for Chopper. <laughs> and I kept, because it was in the middle of that, I was like, oh yeah, this is how they met. 
because he crash landed in a Y wing during the Clone Wars, and his original pilot died, and that's where Hera found him. And I was like, God, this has to be so hard for Chopper because there's probably a have a moment where he was like, "This isn't happening again. Get me out of here." And I was like, that's such a subtly good moment for Chopper. It's not little, even little, little AI PTSD. Yeah, but like the fact that he wasn't going to leave her because Chopper's always an asshole, except for when it comes to Hera. And yeah, but he's not an asshole where he's gonna let his friends die. Yeah. Yeah, like he will he will drop the assholery if it means saving his friends because we've seen that before. Like he missed Kanan when Kanan was gone. And and he and we saw him like Miss Sabine, and so I, I really liked that moment for Chopper. Um, my next note is Kanan is so scared for his space wife. I love them. Oh my god. <laughs> but the deeper part of that note is I also like the little flip between the master and Padawan moments with Ezra and Kanan because we've seen multiple times throughout the show. Kanan comforting Ezra, especially when Ezra is highly emotional and Kanan coming and just being like, all right, calm down. We got to think about things clearly. Let's recenter ourselves. Let's use some logic. And here Ezra is stepping into that role for Kanan because Kanan is clearly like panicking for his space wife. And Ezra is stepping into that master role going, all right, let's calm down. We gotta be Jedi about this. We gotta be the voice of reason. And I like that kind of flip-flop to show that Ezra has taken these lessons from Kanan, and now he can apply them to Kanan when needed. Well, yeah, and God knows Kanan's let Ezra go on enough of his own little things that Ezra's yeah. just like, yeah, dude, I know, totally know what you mean. Go do it. Yeah. <laughs> I do and the actually, same thing. It actually kind of reminded me of a scene from Clone Wars, and I think... I, I'm going to say think because it's been a hot minute. I think it was the first Cad Bane arc. And Anakin and Ahsoka were hunting the list of the Padawans that Cad Bane had stolen. And if I remember correctly, there's uh, I, I think that's the scene. But anyway, Anakin's like angry and he's like, I'm going to find them. I'm going to get them. And finally, Ahsoka just goes, patience, master, patience. And she recenters him. In that moment, he's like, you're right, I need to calm down, I'm not thinking clearly. So I always love those moments when the Padawan has to be like, dude, chill out, yep. <laughs> do your job as a Jedi. And I, I just, it reminded me of that moment too. So I really liked Ezra and Kanan and this, especially Ezra. I, I liked seeing Ezra stepping up and, and, you know, kind of taking that Jedi role because there's that moment where Sabian's like, why are you letting Kanan go? And Ezra's like, I trust him. He has this. And he's stepping into that role. And it's, we know that Kanan dies next episode. I mean, because the next episode, spoilers, Kanan dies in the next episode. So it's nice seeing Ezra already stepping into that new being the only Jedi role because he has to starting next week. That's true. Um, my next note is. I love the moment when the citizens come out to help Hera. It, it was such a nice foil because a few episodes ago when we found out that old Joe had been killed, Ezra was really upset because he was like, aren't the people Lothal mad about this? Like, why aren't the people rebelling? Everyone loves old Joe. So it, it's kind of a nice foil to that because the citizens immediately came over and they're like, you have to get out of here now. Like, here, you got to go that way. Go that way now. And Hera was like, oh, my God, thank you. Um, and I, w I was having trouble, like, kind of figuring out what exactly 
compared to the last time when Ezra was upset about old Joe. And I think it's all about opportunities. Like, you know, when old Joe was killed, there was so much Imperial stuff there that the citizens couldn't do it, but they're taking their little jabs when they can. They might not have been able to act against, to save old Joe, but they can act here to save Hera because there's no Imperials around and they can do it. So I, I like that. It also reminded me of Spider-Man too. <laughs> the Tobey Maguire Spider-Man. So, uh, I Spider-Man Two is not a, the greatest movie ever made or anything, but my favorite superhero moment ever in any superhero movie to this day is the subway train scene of Spider-Man Two, after Tobey Maguire Spider-Man risks his life to stop the subway train. And then all the people, like the citizens of New York, grab him before he falls. I went back and I watched the scene on YouTube. They grabbed him to the, before he fell, and they carry him inside. And he's not wearing his mask. And they lay him down. And when he wakes up, he's maskless. And all the people on the train are like, don't worry. Like, we're going to, we won't tell your secret. We have your back because you saved us. And that's actually what the scene really reminded me of, of the people coming out and being like, we will help you because you have our back and we see that you're fighting for us and we're here to support you, even if we can't do it constantly. And I, I just, I really liked that entire scene. It was like 30 seconds, but I'm like, this is such a good scene. Yeah, they just scrambled out and helped and then scrambled back into the shadows. Yeah, because they had to. If, yeah. not, they, if not, they die. So yeah. uh, that's the whole thing about opportunities. They have to take their jabs where they can take it. Um, and my only other note for this section is this is a really good Hera episode. We're seeing just so many multiple sides of why she's so such a good character. We see her as an awesome pilot, which we have known for the entire season. We see her as a good leader because she leads this attack and outsmarts Thrawn and gets down to the ground. But also then we see the space mom side of her because she immediately see that sees that Mart's in danger. And not only is she acting as... As a general, she's also very kind to Mart. Like, she asks permission to destroy part of his astromech to fix Chopper. And she, she's not going to do it unless she has his permission, which is a very space mom thing for her to do. And it just showcases so many good different sides of Hera in this one, like, single episode. And I really love that. Like, this is honestly, like, one of her better episodes because we get to see on all sides what makes Hera Syndulla so great. I agree. Yeah. Not going to fight you on this one, Hope. Not tonight. Not here. Not now. Not now. Unless it was Thrawn, and then you would fight me. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but that's all I have for our two. Did you have anything else? Um, No, I'm I'm ready to, to, to wrap this little rook up. <laughs> dun, 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 dun. <laughs> dun, 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 dun. He's jumping away. <laughs> Running on mesas across scene. the top of buildings. Say what? The air. <laughs> Seriously, go back and watch that scene. It's hilarious. Anyway, Act Three. Act Three. Harold, Martin, Chopper take off into the streets of the city while Rook parkours across the rooftops. Chopper looks for the nearest sewer hatch for them to escape in. But Rook catches up. But Hera freaking Syndulla gets in a punching match with the assassin, showing that she's not all about flying ships. She can hold off an assassin with her bare fucking hands. But Rook isn't going down easy, and he knocks the wind out of Hera, 
but before he can strike her down, Chopper shocks him, and Mart blasts, uh, starts blasting a rifle, and Rook temporarily retreats. Meanwhile, Kanan is driving really fast. He is driving as fast as he can back to the city. High speeds, flying fast, driving so fast, everything's whooshing by, and there's a wolf in the road! Wolf! <laughs> and Kanan slams on the brakes and flies off his speeder. And Kanan is pissed off at this wolf. Space Dad looks at it and goes, well, he can't look, he's blind. Space Dad turned towards it and goes, look, I don't have time for force bullshit right now. I have to go save my wife. No force bullshit, no force. And the lock wolf appears and goes, Doom. Buddy, my buddy, Doom. Hi, I'm a lock wolf. Did I just hear you say that you don't have time for the Force bullshit? You? A Jedi? Buddy, buddy, you gotta calm down. You can't save your wife or work in the bigger powers of the Cosmic Force if you run off and get killed. Now can you? And Kanan takes a breath and recenters himself and clears his mind and asks the Lost Wolf what he needs to do. Back with Hera's team, they're running through the streets again. And finally, they finally find the hatch, but there's a walker standing on top of it with a few guards around it. And Hera comes up with a plan on the fly, and Mart, part of the plan, walks out there going, Hey! Hey, stormtroopers! I'm gonna channel all my energy from the Iron Squadron episode and annoy you! Hey, I'm annoying! Hey! Hey! And the stormtroopers are like, Look! An annoying teenager! An obvious ruse. We should follow that guy. And they start chasing Mart. Hera grabs the speeder while Chopper works on opening the hatch. She drives after Mart, who has taken out one of the troopers, and she rams the speeder into the walker. Mart's oven. Hera stares behind. <laughs> I can't talk. Hera stays behind and tells Mart that she will catch up when she finishes off the trooper in the walker. After she does that, Hera is sprinting towards the hatch. Rook comes out of nowhere and jumps on her. Also, there's some Imperial tanks that are coming into the alleyway and they cut her off. She gives Mart an order to get out of there with Chopper. Mart has no choice and leaves. But Chopper doesn't want to leave Hera behind. But she shoots at the panel and he has to drop into the hatch with Mart. Or Chopper would have gotten cut in half. Surrounded, Hera is put on her knees as Governor Ari steps off her ship. And Arya's like, yay, I caught you, I got you, I'm gonna get so much credit for this. And Rook is like, excuse you, you didn't do anything, I did all the work. And Arinda is like, shh, this one is all me, I did this. And she stuns Hera. And now, the Empire has captured Harris and Dula. Mart and Chopper climb out of another hatch, and there's Kanan waiting for them. Mart apologizes for leaving Hera behind, and Kanan replies, There's nothing you could have done, but there's something I can do. And Mart's like, Oh, that's really cryptic, man. Are you alright? And as they drive away, the Lothwolf, the Lothwolf watches them go. The end! What'd you think of Act 3? I like Lothwarf. It's like uh, Klingon from 
Star, Star Trek. Crossover he's always got to have the ridges Star on Trek. his head. He does have the ridges on his head. He is yeah, a lot more. Yes, he does. Now that you mention it. <laughs> Lock Wharf. Which I only have two. Well, I got three notes on this. Um, I'm this. This just this just capped it off for me. Um, we're not being let in on it, but I know for sure. Like the Lothwolves are having a full like Canaan. I must tell you something. Conversa- conversations going on like in their mind or something that we're not a part of um probably ezra too but yeah i just definitely get the i definitely get the like idea from this point this point on especially kanan knows what's going what's going down from here on you know i have a note about that too i the lost wolf's out of time and space is Exi- works outside of time and space and has just filled it like knows Kanan's in his last 24 hours and is like all right here's what's going down because he's making sure it goes down right you know probably who knows yeah. what his mission is you know who knows what it, he's in that you know those Lothwolves I put them in the same sort of mysterious realm that Bendu's in and the you know the father the brother and the sister and all those guys yeah. You know, just sort of just sort of they 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 have a wider, bigger plan, but like yeah, I, I think from this point on Kanan knows exactly what's going on. Um I but, I have a wild speculation. I'll get to that when I get to my notes. Um right to a super shallow note, I love the stylized ATST with the really super skinny legs. I thought the sort of pointy ATST, I thought that was really cool. And I like the scene where Kanan has to take a couple shots at, at, at um, Chopper to get him to go away, you know, to, to leave him. Was it Kanan? Or was it Hera? It was Hera, yeah. yeah. Had to, had to, it reminded me of old, do- old movies about dogs where, like, you know, the town's going to kill your dog and you got to take him out in the woods and tell him to go away. But he's your dog, so he doesn't want to go away. And the kid has to cry and be like, go away. I don't like you anymore. Go away and throw a rock at him. And the dog's like, oh, and he has to break the dog's heart to make him run away. You know, yeah. <laughs> that's what it totally reminded me of. Get out of here. That's actually one of my shallow notes is in big letters I wrote. Chopper not wanting to leave Hera behind. I wrote it in all caps. <laughs> That's one of my notes. <laughs> yeah, like, that scene is so heartbreaking because he's like, Hera, come on. She's like, I can't, Chopper, go. And she just shoots out the panel and he's just like, Because ah! <laughs> he was about to get closed and cut in half by the panel and he just has to drop and he's just like, yeah. no, how dare you? And then he's so sad because Kanan's, he's just like, Kanan, we left Hera behind. And Kanan actually has a moment where he's just like, I know Chopper, we'll get her. <laughs> Kanan, poor, this is a really good Chopper episode, actually, because Chopper has so many feelings yeah. in this episode. Is that all your notes? That is all my notes. My other all caps note is Hera fist fighting Rook is freaking awesome. That's my other big all cap notes. Because... Hera goes to, you know, does pretty good twice. <laughs> like he, he bests her both th- times, but Hera holds her ground really well. And, I'm, yeah. and I don't think we've ever, the only other time I can actually recall Hera 
hitting somebody was the very first episode with As Morgan when she's pretending to be his slave and she gets a tray and slaps him with the tray. That's the only time I can actually think of Hera actually punching someone. <laughs> yeah, this is, but this is full combat, you know. This yeah. is full like tumbling and throwing combat. Yeah. She has one move where she like jumps on Rook's back and like spins him down to the ground, and it's awesome. Like she's so good. Okay, here's the thing. I actually really like Martin this episode, <laughs> and this is so much better than what he was in the Iron Squadron episode. Because here's the difference. He had and something he, to do, sort of. Yeah, and he hasn't changed much. Because in the opening scene, he's still really cocky. Like, they're they're all getting ready to attack. And he's like, I'm going to take out all the TIE fighters. Like something, He says something shitty like that. But it's different because it's just kind of like normal battle cockiness. And we even get a lot of, like, Ridley's subtle moments. Like, when Hera wants to take apart his droid, he's very serious about that. He's like, this is what my droid would have wanted. He would have wanted to help the Rebellion. Do it. And he gets a nice, like, really solemn moment. And I, I love the scene where he walks out as the distraction. He just walks out there. And it's a beautiful shot, too, because he's all silhouetted in the light. And he's just like, hey, I'm a rebel. Aren't you looking for rebels? Come get me, bitches. And he still has that little bit of arrogance. But it's different because it's being directed towards something, which well, is the difference. Because I think he's had some real battles in between the last time we saw him, and he's grown up a bit, you know, just like we've yeah. seen Ezra do. And it, and I think, and the difference is that it's directed at something. Because what was so shitty about Iron Squadron is they were just little shits to be shits. And they were being shitty towards Ezra and being shitty towards Sabine. And they were just being shits to be shits. And Marta's still a shit in this episode, but it's directed and it's it's directed at the enemy. And which Well, makes yeah, it because hurt. his in-group was just his friends in Iron Squadron and now he's yeah. with the Rebellion and they're all like they're all Iron Squadron now. Yeah. He's, he's absorbed into the larger whole, so yeah. Yeah. And it really works here. And I, I think this is a really good example of if you're going to have a character that's a little shit, then have it be directed at something. Because with Iron Squadron, it was just kind of aimless. Like, he was kind of just lashing out at everybody. He was lashing out at the Empire and at Sato and at Ezra. And it was just kind of everywhere. But here, his shittiness is directed, which makes it work. And I, I just, I, I really ended up liking Mart a lot in this episode. And I like seeing that character development. And I'm just like, wow, I actually... I actually remember Mart now because <laughs> before I was See, like, I, I, don't, I don't know, he's Jai or something. And I was getting them all confused. But like he really made his mark in this episode and I really like him. See, I, I totally just was like, oh, it's just one. I, I took him as a total just sort of extra <laughs> in the whole thing. I really like I had no feelings about Mark, good or bad. It helps that I did the back. I always did the background info first before I do, before I watch the episode. Yeah, that so, might that, that might have changed my my take on it too. But so like it was on StarWars.com as I was going through the that the episode background notes. Um, it was like this is the return of Mark Martin. He was last seen in the Iron Squadron episode, and I was like, oh hey, Mark's back. I bet he's shitty. And then I watched the episode. And I'm like, I love Mark. He's great now. <laughs> right, I should my... remember him because I had a roommate and a bandmate named Mark Martin. 
Yeah, I think he said and that so, during the Iron Squad episode. He might. They. I mean, there's a race car driver named Mark Martin, so they might have. Maybe they named him after Mark Mark Martin, the race car driver. No, I think he's named. He's named after um, Matt Martin, who. Oh, that's at, right. I remember he that. At yes. Film. Yeah, he's named after Matt Martin uh, from Lucasfilm. So. Um, okay, here's my little, my very long Canaan note. So I'm going to read the long note, and then I'm going to have wild speculation, but I'm going to do the wild speculation second. Okay. I think the Lothwolf and Canaan scene does a really good job of illustrating why attachments can cloud your judgment, which is part of the reason why the Jedi were like, oh, no attachments. Because we've praised Kanan pretty much the entire show about how he's really good at balancing being a Jedi while being in love with Hera and loving his space family and being a space dad. But with Hera possibly hurt or dead, Kanan completely loses all his reasoning, and he's not thinking clearly. He's probably running off into his own death. And then comes along the Lost Wolf, and the Lost Wolf literally makes him stop by throwing himself in front of Kanan's speeder and just being like, stop! And he forces Kanan to calm down and think a moment to recenter himself in the Force. And just when Kanan was starting to lose himself, the Force literally intervenes and says, chill, bro, you're going to have to take a moment and think a few. And then Kanan recenters himself and starts thinking clearly. And it was a very interesting take of, like, this is kind of... And, of course, the Jedi Order took it to an extreme to where it was, like, no attachments. But this is kind of an example of this is the danger of attachments because we saw this constantly with Anakin. Anakin was constantly like, oh, Padme's in danger, drop everything, run off and be crazy. And this is, so this is a kind of like a very small example of this is the dangers of attachments that the Jedi tried to teach, only they took it much more extreme. And this is really the first time we ever seen Kanan just completely lose all his reasoning and just go crazy to try to get to Hera. And it, it's a really nice scene, and I like the Lothwolf literally stepping in and going, "You need to stop and calm down." In this, in this, the body embodiment of the Force going, "Calm down." <laughs> and I liked that scene. Oh yeah, well I think it was calm down and like, here's what's going down, and part of that is hair's gonna be fine. You. Yeah. You're going to be fine, too, but in a different way. <laughs> You're going to be fine for 24 hours. There's, there's a hours. change in your future coming. <laughs> You'll be good for, like, 48 hours tops. <laughs> and then you won't be. No, then he'll be in the Force or something. And I'm sure, you know, yeah. when you die as a Jedi, it's it's a positive change of energy and dimensional plane or whatever the hell they do for yeah. in the force ghost land or whatever but yeah i think he knows he knows now that that's what that's how it's gonna go down you know yeah and here's here's my wild speculation okay i don't know why i'm giving a spoiler warning but i'm gonna go into the spoilers of world between worlds even though we've already been talking spoilers for mm -hmm. next episode where Kanan dies but if you don't want spoilers for World Between Worlds, even though we've been talking spoilers, hey, cut off right now. So here's my thing, and I, I think I finally started piecing together why the wolves want Kanan and Ezra, and what, and it has to do with Palpatine and the World Between Worlds. Because here's the thing. Kanan dies next week, right? 
And the week after that, I, I was kind of going forward in the Rebels recons to look for notes and stuff like that. The week after that, we get a big cosmic force wolf whose name is Doom. And this giant wolf, after Kanan dies, is supposedly Kanan's will in the cosmic force. And they give Ezra the key to get into the world between worlds. So, <laughs> my theory is, is that either Kanan or Ezra had to be in the world between worlds. And Kanan had to die because of Palpatine. Stay with me. While Ezra is in the world between worlds, he sees an image of Kanan in one of the portals, and he just saved Ahsoka from one of the portals. And so Ezra is being tempted to save Kanan. And here's the thing about that one specific portal, and I'll talk about it more when we get to this episode. The portal that he's looking at Kanan through, above it has a Sith icon, like an straight up Sith icon above it. So this is a window of the Sith. And after K Ezra decides not to save Kanan, Palpatine appears in that very mirror and Palpatine's trying to come through. So it's heavily insinuated that Palpatine was the one tempting Ezra because if Ezra would have reached through to try to save Kanan, he would have grabbed Palpatine and pulled Palps into the world between worlds, which is everything. And that's the important thing. So the wolves are trying to warn them that they need to get to the world between worlds because Palpatine is trying to come in. And the whole point is Ezra has to shut down that window for Palpatine, who's trying to break in, and they're aware of this. So the wolves are like, Kanan's gonna die, right? But Kanan has to die because Palpatine's orchestrating this entire thing for Ezra to pull him into the world between worlds. Ezra doesn't fall for the bait. And then Ezra's just like, oh God. And when Ezra leaves the world between worlds, it locks it down. So Palpatine can't get in. And the reason Kanan died is I guess he had to. So Palpatine would actually have something to tempt Ezra with. That's, I, uh, that's, that's valid. I'll have to keep all that in mind. That totally makes sense. So I'll have to keep it in mind when when we watch it. Because I've been really rethinking the season. Well, I going. also I also think the wolf is is Kanan basically. So when it's communicating to him, it already knows everything that Kanan knows. You know, I've whether seen... it's in, 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 whether it's exactly like Kanan or his force will or whatever. The it exists outside of time, sort of yeah. creature. So, you know, he show when he starts showing up and and doing Kanan, he's showing up as somebody who's lived through the whole experience so he's there to 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 herald himself through you know to to help himself through the journey and make sure everything goes right yeah i get out of that because everything i've been reading up on these wolves because because the one thing i kept coming back to coming into the season was did kanan actually have to die and that's why and like and the overall plot of star wars Yes, because there are no Jedi by the time Luke is there in the original trilogy. So yes, technically Kanan had to die and they had to remove all the Jedi plot-wise. But in the story of Rebels, I kept coming back to, but did Kanan actually have to die? And everything I read about the Lothwolves, was in particular this one that's constantly coming after Kanan and the very big Doom Wolf. 
is they are the will, they are working through the cosmic force. So just a quick reminder, the living force is what we see the Jedi do. Like they lift rocks and they do the thing. They're the Jedi things that people do. The cosmic force is the will of the force. They're the ones that go, hmm, everything is off balance. Let's make an Anakin. Like it's so that it's the cosmic force is the will of the force. So the will of the force is working through these loft wolves. And I keep coming back to, are they trying to get both Ezra and Kanan into the world between worlds and Kanan just happens to die or does he have to die? And that's not what I'm, that that's what I'm still kind of waiting on. That's what I hope I'm he has to die. But does he have how to else die is the, how else not... is how else is the wolf gonna be there? Because it could just be a wolf, and that's that's where I'm. I'm yeah, torn but it off. ain't just a wolf. I know, and because it, it could just be a, a cosmic force loth wolves. It's kind of like the Mortis arc. Did there have to be Mortis people? I don't know. They just happen to be there just for the no, fun. All, all that stuff is happening outside of time, so they're like. They're when they pop up into a place, they're like time. They're 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 more fantasy depictions of like a time traveler, you know, but they're a more mystical. They're not like using like probably Palpatine using Sith magic would be more like using a time machine to travel and stuff. But like Lothwolves and stuff are just like of the force and, you know, they're just sort of naturally existing in that plane. So, yeah, if that if if that wolf is the cosmic will of of Canaan, the force will of Canaan, then it got there, you know, when Canaan died and in the circumstances that Canaan died, you know, it's it's all sort of like a, a snake eating its own tail sort of thing. Yeah, because because that I, I'm still. Yes, I, I hear what you're saying. I, I'm not sure. I'm not sure if I agree. Um, but that's because I'm still so unsure about how I feel about this. Because I think Ezra was always supposed to be the one in the world between worlds. I'm just torn on whether or not Kanan was supposed to be with him. And I still don't know. I'm, I'm still on the fence of whether Kanan needed to die for Ezra to get there or if he just happened to die and Ezra continued without him. Or if they were and they were supposed to be there together. That oh, that's where I'm. Well, we'll have to on. we'll have to on our next watching of it have to be looking out for stuff. Yeah, um, and I I don't know because like I've been kind of I've been looking ahead a little bit and reading and watching Rebels Recon and stuff like that, and I'm still kind of confused about the Lothwolves. Like this is the most I can kind of piece together in my head is that yes they're working through the cosmic force. I totally get that. Ezra oh. was always supposed to be the one in the world between worlds. He is there to stop Palpatine, who is coming through the portal. All, all um, of it. If you explain too much of it, it's going to get ruined. You know what I'm, I'm saying? It becomes. You, you don't want to. It's midichlorians. You, you, if you're going to do mystical stuff, let it stay. Mis, when it's mystical, that means you're intersecting into mystical, like mystical language and religion and all that are, is like trying to find human words to describe the undescribable type of thing. There's also the, the fault of not explaining something enough. Uh, like I didn't feel like, I don't feel like, I mean, there's a feeling of wanting to know more, but it's like, 
be careful what you wish. I'm just flinging out the platitudes one after I, the other. But it's like, yeah, be careful yeah. what you wish for, because, you know, you don't want to know that, like, nobody wanted to know that, like, maybe your force power just had to do with how many midichlorians you had floating around in your bloodstream oh. and stuff like that. I, I agree, like, because there's a reason that Chirrut MLA should have been a Jedi and he wasn't. Um, and I agree, and I, I definitely hear what you're saying. I But I think there's still just, to me personally, I, I don't want to put words in your mouth. To me personally, knowing what we're going into, looking ahead, rewatching this, like, I still feel like we don't have quite enough explanation of the Lothwolves, almost to the point where they almost don't work. There's a time when something is so magical that it, it, it like, because Bindu works. We understand what a Bindu is. Whether or not you and I like the Mortis gods, they still work. We understand what they are. But there's something about the Lothwolves that is just, they're missing that, like, last little detail to make them actually really work for me personally. See, I like that because it makes them... um alien in some not alien like aliens but alien is in they're not like us <laughs> you know they don't operate for the same reasons and in the same ways and they're they're you know they're they're you know it's it's like the difference between 2d and 3d and 4d you know they're they're on a like quantum level of of stuff going on, maybe even beyond Bendu, maybe even more tied into nature than Bendu. So it's like almost in, you know, like when someone's like, what's your name? You could not pronounce my name. You know, you, you, you couldn't understand their motivations and stuff because they're not of, they're not of you. They're from a different, you know, they're from a different, you're all of the force, but they are, uh, you know, there, there. This is probably not the best example, but this is what came to my mind. Um, in the Bible, anytime humans saw angels, they were just so indescribable that they couldn't actually. They were fathom just overwhelmed they, by they their. They couldn't fathom what they even looked like. Right, right, and their just the description was just like balls of feathers and eyes and light and stuff. So with yeah, multiple so... faces. <laughs> Right, exactly. And, 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 you know, I mean, there's all sorts of there's all sorts of examples in in pop culture and stuff. And just like, you know, like when you get into like the hardcore UFO conspiracies and stuff of, you know, the aliens are, you know, they're really interdimensional creatures and their spaceship only looks like that because that's what we understand it to look like when it's in our dimension, you know, stuff like that. So yeah. that's how I I feel the the Lothwolves are. They are they are alien and their their interaction with like humans is probably very rare and very limited, you know. Yeah. And 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 at important junctures. But everything beyond that is almost like need to know and uh, and uh, and not really something that could be explained. So I, I like it. It keeps it. It keeps them. It keeps the mystical a- aspect of it mysterious and 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 the, and there's always that you know they oh and the, this is what else I like about rebels and Filoni's view of the mystical stuff. It's always a little scary around the edges. You know, they're not completely like these benevolent like 
ah, oh, pizza, you know, the Lothwolves are can, are a little intimidating and scary, and Bendu was definitely <laughs> intimidating and scary and 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 not necessarily always on your side. So I, I like that. They keep it they keep it very very vague. Well, let's open this up to the listeners. So, guys, how do you feel about the Lothwolves? Uh, do you feel that they're done fine, that they're ju- like they're mysterious and that's part of it? Or do you wish that there was just like a little bit more concrete explanation? Go to the Two True Freaks page for this episode and leave us a comment and let us know what you think about it. Um, because I, I'm i enjoying rewatching them, but I'm still on the fence. Um, uh-huh. So. It's Chris's favorite part of the episode. <laughs> Did you have anything else for the for Act Three before we move on? No, I'm ready. I'm ready to get this part over with. <laughs> Do we have to go over all the past ones over and over again, though? Every episode. I enjoy it, but no, we don't. <laughs> oh, thank God. <laughs> what i'm gonna do is when we get to the final episode of rebels i am gonna just read the list oh yeah keep keep track of them but like yeah yeah see see how long i can get this thing well not much longer (laughs) well it's time more opportunities to (laughs) it is time where chris has to say something nice about thrawn so what's your nice thing about thrawn this week um i i think thrawn is a wise politician. I think at some point he must have got either porno tapes or something on Palpatine to just like keep him from getting demoted. That's why he's so cocky. He knows that they're not going to do anything. That's why he could go, oh, nobody, no ships will go through. And then, oh, they went through. Ah, part of my plan. Keep going. But like, because he knows, he knows that he's got like, you know, video of Palpatine and Ray's grandma doing the doing the dirty in some hotel room. I'm and you say, know it's it's incriminating. You know it's not just like some so what? It's just me having making sweet love to my woman. You know it's horrible. I'm gonna say you're half wrong, half right. Um, By definition. The, in in the books, it's a very clear ongoing joke that Thrawn is actually terrible at politics and he just doesn't understand politics. But the reason Palpatine keeps him around is because Thrawn knows the unknown regions and he knows hyperspace lanes and the unknown regions. So he like to keep himself in good graces with Palpatine, like he'll feed a little he's bit. He's useful. That. Yeah, he's it's useful. almost the same thing. He's got that. He's got some sort of leverage. Okay. Yeah, so like he'll, um, cause, cause of course Thrawn's here cause he's here for his people and he's here for the Chiss and that's his main mission of why he's here, but he doesn't want to give away the Chiss, so he'll give Palpatine like, yeah, this is a hyperspace lane to the middle of fucking nowhere, but yeah. Pal- Palpatine's in there going, ooh, a hyperspace lane, maybe he'll go to Exegol. Um, makes, makes a perfect, perfect sense if you're, 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 you're just faking being a brilliant tactician, it's good to have leverage. Well, what are your final thoughts on the episode, Chris? I liked it a lot. I I, I, I think I may be with you as it's my favorite of the, the series. I mean, like, it's not groundbreaking in any of the story arcs of anybody, but in just in general, 
it has a little bit of everything and it's you know we're building to a head on this this whole show and uh it's it's starting to to feel like it and i mean just everything was functioning in that the flow of star wars and starting it all out with an x-wing battle of a really fun x-wing battle was a great way to start it um yeah i'm giving i'm giving this one a nine Wow, I almost yeah. got there. Because I was um, going to give it an 8.75 like the last one, but I like it better than the last one. Well, for me, um, I like this episode a lot, too. I really enjoyed the space battles, and I, I also liked a lot of the ground stuff, like with them on the ground. Um, Hera is awesome, and it showcases why she's such a good character. This is a really good Chopper episode. Chopper has a lot of really good moments in this, and I actually like Mark. Mark's not annoying. Well, he he's an asshole, but he's a good asshole. He's an asshole for good. And I'm starting to kind of feel out the Lothwells a little bit. Still on the fence, but I, I do, I'm getting them. I'm, I'm getting there. So I gave this an episode an 8.5 out of 10. Um, this is better than anything in season four so far. So. Agreed. Well, <clears throat> well, as always, we would love to hear your feedback on iTunes, Twitter, or on the Two True Freaks Facebook page. I will say it's been a little hot minute since we've had an iTunes review. So if you're listening and you like what our, we, if you like what we do and you haven't left us a review, go over on iTunes and leave us a review. So that that'd be really great. This week, our feedback comes from the face from Facebook for our episode, Heroes of Mandalore. Take it away, Chris. Remember, don't read my notes in pink. <laughs> okay, are you going to read those after both of these? Uh, They're more of... there for me, just so I know my talking points. Okay. Yeah. Okay, so the first one is from Diego Lemos, who's been uh, a new writer on Facebook and has had some just great questions and, yeah. and um, either questions or just observations. I will say, like, whenever we get new writer, hi, by the way, Diego, we love your questions and your comments. Um, I, I just I always want to know how people found the show. Like, have you been part of listening to Two True Freaks for a while now, and you just gave us a try, or did you find us through like Twitter or something? I, I just or like through to, another I, podcast. We, yeah, we've been so on, we've been I just on another podcast. How, so, so Diego, let us know how you found the show. I, I would like to know that. So, yeah. anyway. and also he, he he also on Facebook, he's always apologizing for his English grammar, and I'm just gonna tell you right now, Diego, your English grammar is better than most Americans' English grammar, so don't worry about it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, I... I, I, yeah, I, yeah. <laughs> Please it's, don't it's worry about fine. it. Yeah, it's just You're fine. fine. Okay. So, Diego Lemos says... I will say, Diego, you can't see my terrible grammar when I actually write this. You just hear me perform, right. but you don't see how bad my grammar is when I actually write these things. <laughs> you just hear me perform it terribly. <laughs> All right, so uh, he says, I really like the characters of Rebels, Clone Wars, and the Mandalorian, but the thing is, I really don't like the Mandalorians as a culture. I can feel that. It's hard for me to relate to a culture that glorifies war. Part of me thinks that Mandalore got what it deserves, but that maybe because in Legends and in part of canon, they were always telling you how great they were as warriors just to end up losing horribly against their belittled enemy. For example, the Jedi in Mandalorian Wars and the Empire in the Civil War. Oh my God, it's like you and Thrawn. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> sorry. For, well, yeah, a little bit. Yeah. Sorry yeah. if it sounds like I'm complaining. I really like your podcast, guys. It doesn't sound like you're complaining at all. 
it's no. just the fact that you're writing in is always a good sign <laughs> and you're not swearing at us. It is just that I don't understand all this love for a culture whose most important feats are their defeats and conflicts they brought upon themselves. If Death Watch hadn't overthrown Satine, this wouldn't have happened, or what do you think? But then again, I'm the one who likes Kylo Ren's character arc, which is that exact thing. I like Kylo Ren's character arc, too. Um, I, like, I don't, I, I think, I don't like the Mandalorian culture. I think it's almost like the Roman culture in a way where they're like, they glorify art and education, you know, that sort of stuff. They're not like, they're not like living on the conquered planets of their, of their defeated foes. They're just these savage warriors that, you know, with, with a code of honor and stuff. I don't know if I really respect their culture, but in the context of a story like star wars it's a cool culture it's not a not necessarily a good culture it's got some really awful things about it but that makes it really interesting and that opens up story ideas and it opens up like you know stuff like what is the eventual fate of that culture which is you know they they're pretty much taken down to you know dregs by the mandalorian so, you know, it's not like they're it's not like they ended up being glorified in the universe. They sort of ended up being beaten down to nothing. And I don't know if people even glorified them as much as just like respected the hell out of them because you don't want to mess with Mandalorians. But for a character in a in a story or for a culture in a story, yeah, bring it I mean, we have all sorts of terrible and wonderful cultures in star wars we might as well have some that are sort of have aspects of both in it you know yeah paul sakelli goes into a little bit about talking about how mandos are seen in rebels so coming up <clears throat> paul c kelly says Ooh, yeah. i do not think you are alone some of the actual Rebels characters are with you on this. Kaden and Ezra are both not too enthused about the Mandalorian ways. Oh, no. Ezra said himself in this episode that he does not want to be a Mandalorian. In another episode, he flat out says they are crazy. That could go either way, though. Yeah. <laughs> being good or bad. Kanan at multiple times gets frustrated with Row! Ursa and even Sabine and about how they let their traditions get in the way of their own family or what is moral or just plain sane fun to watch though oh Paul Kelly you just said basically what I said I know, that's uh, what I was like, I don't in, in less in less words and more succinctly <laughs> and better put so and in a much cooler voice I should I should have just done Paul C. Kelly and skipped my my commentary um, I agree with you, Chris, about just in, in the context of the story, they're an interesting culture, especially compared to others like that we've seen in Star Wars, because honestly, we don't really get to deep dive into many cultures, you know, um, Mandos are really the only big culture, them, the Jedi, the Jedi culture, and really, that's it. Like, you, you can dive into the culture of like, say, Naboo in the Padme books, because I'm actually in the middle of reading 
um, the second Padme book that just was released. It's called Queen's Peril. And it just really deep dives into like Naboo's political culture and their history and their artwork and how they elect queens. So, but but overall, like if you're just looking at like the movies and the TV shows um, and the animated content, we don't really get a lot of like deep dives into cultures. Um, so I I don't I'm not a big fan of Mando's either. And so really, what I wanted to talk about was mainly your point of saying like you don't understand why people like them and you're also a fan of Kylo Ren. And I totally get that. I think it all comes down to personal preferences, to be honest. I have friends who love Mandos. They're obsessed with Mandalorian. They, they want everything to be Mandalorian, but that's not what I personally look for in Star Wars. I mean, you guys know me. I love the Inquisitors. Like Grande is my boyfriend. I love my Grande boyfriend. I love the Inquisitors, but I also know like, not everybody really gives a fuck about Inquisitors, and that's fine. Um, when I watch The Mandalorian, I watch it because I'm interested in Din Djarin and Baby Yoda. I'm interested in them as characters, not because they're Mandalorians. That just kind of, that influences their story arc and how Din acts and stuff like that. But I don't watch it for Mandalorian content. Um well everything about Star Wars resonates with us differently. And there's different things that we latch onto. Like my buddy, Thomas Harper loves Y-Wings. I couldn't give a fuck about a ship, but that that's what makes this so interesting is we all latch on to different things that we really, that we, that we really like. So it's totally okay. If Mandos are not your thing, if you don't like the Mandalorian culture and that, that, that glorifies war, that's totally cool because that's not everybody's thing. It's not my thing. I, I'm I like them in the context of story when you actually stop and think about them I'm not a fan of them as a culture does that make sense it makes I like an interesting the, story I like them because as an old old person Star Wars you know old old school original movies seeing that you know those were you know seeing them in eight years old and seeing Empire Strikes Back what happened was you know Boba Fett was just cool and then it entered in the 90s more but just generally, like in the 90s when Star Wars had its re-release, the Boba Fett is cool was kind of like a meme type of thing, you know, like the Chuck Norris memes of just like, you're not as cool as Boba Fett, you know. And there was just a lot of interest in Boba Fett and Mandalorians, and it just seemed like a neat story. They'd hinted at him in the old Star Wars comics and stuff. So what I like about it is when Lucas decided to start telling Mandalorian stories, they could have just made the Mandalorians like the super kick-ass, you know, culture, you know, the super just like army of, of awesome kick-asses. But instead they made it a very gray story and a, not a very happy story. And I thought that was way more interesting, you know. Than just sort of like they're 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 this kick-ass army with with cool arm armor and weapons, you know. So that, that's a good uh, point because that's actually my favorite thing about the Mandalorians because so much in Star Wars um, on the surface is very black and white. You're either the bad guys with the Empire and the Sith, or you're the good guys with the Republic and the Jedi. And like it's it's very black black and white and like Mandalorians throw in this kind of like morally gray area. They're they're, they're like one of the only cultures I think that were tough enough to be morally gray in the time of the Empire. Like 
It was either it was either like you got absorbed by the empire, or joined the emp or the rebellion because the empire just crushed you. And the Mandalorians were tough enough to sort of exist as their own thing, not uh, not really involved or you know with not not taking sides with either side of it. You know, yeah. They kind of it, they still got destroyed, but like. They were probably one of the few cultures that that did that existed like that for a period of time. Yeah. So like I I like Mandalorians Mandalorians. I like Mandalorians in the context of story because I think they always provide an interesting side of the story. I mean, some of the most some of the best parts of freaking Clone Wars is the Mandalorian episodes because they just present this whole other like gray yeah. area and, that's and, not the Jedi or the Republic and they're not the separatists and the Sith they're just this entire gray right. area. So, so when they get involved they're sort of like pirates you don't know which way it could go. They're not yeah, going to screw they're, they're you like, over they like are. pirates but they might they're, but they're, if they're not going to be with you they're not going to be with you from right from the very beginning. They're they're always a wild card. They're, yep. That's a very good way like they're they're like the scum and villainy whenever you have a character like hondo or cad bane you don't know what they're going to do you don't know what's going on internally when you show up (laughs) yeah so i like the mandalorians in term of story because they always add a very interesting layer of stories but i i I agree with you like when you actually look at them as a culture they're kind of they're they're kind of they're, they're they're a complicated culture you know they're they're seeped in traditions and there's definitely like nods towards like samurai and romans like there, there's a lot of nods to very different things so i and i think it's supposed to be complicated i don't it's not supposed to be yeah, black and I, white. I think there's a, a an element of the way their culture was kind of doomed it too at the same time yeah. They, 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 and I agree. They really did doom themselves. They didn't get they, taken over and freed from the empire. They just got pretty much wiped out. So yeah. So, but it's also cool if that's not your favorite part of the franchise. It's not my favorite part of the franchise either. I think it's cool when we see Mandalorians, but it's also not like what I look for in Star Wars. Right. Right. So if it's if it's not your jam, it's totally cool. That you know, I, I was thinking about this the other day. We are so lucky to have so much star wars you have books you have comics you have there's a fucking radio play that you have the animated shows you have the tv shows you have the movies there's so much star wars and i was thinking back to when i was a a really big fan of the tv show once upon a time and we got a comic book and we lost our fucking minds over a single comic book because all we had was the tv show so when we got that one comic book, it was exciting. And I, I, I'm looking back on it, and I'm looking at Star Wars, which has so much content everywhere. It, it's it's nice because if you don't like one part of Star Wars, there is so much yeah. Star Wars that you could dive into. You can like go the, occupy I, yourself with whatever kind of Star Wars you like and yeah, the rest like of your I, life. I, I don't remember who it is, but there's someone in the Two True Freaks family that still hasn't seen Tross yet because he just didn't like the direction of the sequel trilogy, but that doesn't make him any less of a star Wars fan. Cause there's still so much star Wars for him to love. So it's okay. It's like if not he seeing like... three or four episodes, four, four or five episodes of a TV series. Megan, <laughs> you my, know, my as best far friend as Megan, amount of content goes, my so. best friend, Megan and her husband, Lauren, 
um, they only watched the best of episodes of Clone Wars. They didn't watch all of Clone Wars. And they still they're still fans of animation and they still love Star Wars. They didn't watch every episode of Clone Wars. Um, and, and it's okay. Like, so it's it's cool if Mandos are not your thing. That's just, you know, we're so lucky to be in a franchise where there's so I, much I didn't fun. really get into Mandos until The Mandalorian, really. I liked them up until then. I liked where they it was inter I really liked how the direction they went with them and stuff like that. But like I said, they weren't really my thing. But the Mandalorian, I love the Mandalorian. And it's not necessarily because it's a Mandalorian. It's the style of it is perfect for a Mandalorian character. So it's just like, yes, it's a great idea. I I, I actually agree with that. Um, for, but I'm enjoying were, it because it meshes up with Clone Wars and Rebels. And that's it was about really to fun. say the exact same thing. <laughs> yeah. It's not that I like the Mandalorian culture. It's I like that it meshes up with Clone Wars and Rebels. Yeah, it's, it's, a Filoni, it's a Filoni show, you know. It, it, it actually, The Mandalorian has actually made me go back and like Rebels more. Because the first time I watched Rebels, I, I like I love Sabine as a character. I don't like it, I don't like Sabine just because she's a Mandalorian. I like Sabine because she's Sabine. And I, if she was not a Mandalorian, I would still like Sabine. But, in, and so, like, I really, like, I was like, this is fine. This Mandalorian stuff is cool. But it wasn't until the TV show, The Mandalorian, that made me go back and really look at Clone Wars and Rebels and go, okay, I kind of see where people are going with this stuff. I kind of get it. So, so yeah, I, I feel the same way. I like The Mandalorian, not because of The Mandalorian stuff. I like it because it connects so well with Clone Wars and Rebels. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's... So to bring it back to you, Diego, like, I, I feel you, man. Like, it's totally cool if it's not your jam. That's fine. It doesn't have to be. Enjoy the enjoy your Star Wars and enjoy it the way you want. Yeah, you don't, you, like, it, like, actually, you don't even have to like the Mandalorians as a people to enjoy them in a story. So yeah. You, you don't have to approve of characters in order to enjoy their story. I, I that's the how I, the, the Mandalorians that's how I feel get about theirs. the Empire, like... I don't, you know, I'm not condoning that what the Empire does. They're fucking space Nazis. But I find them interesting as hell as characters. Yeah. I find Darth There's Vader... thousands of movies about Nazis. Yeah, like... they're interesting. I, I like Thrawn and Darth Vader and the Grand Inquisitor because they're interesting characters. It's not me going, I support these space Nazis because they're Nazis. I like them because they're very interesting yeah. characters. And I, I also just love a good villain. I love villains. Like, I, I, I'm not very subtle about that i love a fucking good villain so like so but it it doesn't mean that i'm supporting their culture as nazis because i find them yeah, fascinating yeah, we know that it's yeah it's okay i mean vader's my black metal dad nobody's gonna accuse you of that oh it's 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 become a thing like very young fans are very much playing purity politics on in fandoms and they're like if you like a villain that means you like what they do and that you support their methods and it's like well, no, that's fine. They're, no they're, youngins they're, they're kids that's, you They'll just don't up. you don't understand how story works yeah you just don't want any interesting stories right now that's okay they'll figure uh, it out fucking purity politics and fandom pisses me off but yeah, thank you so much, Diego, for writing in. Like honestly, like I this was this was a really good good question, and you've been just super stellar on them. So, candy. All right, <laughs> I have one picked out. Which one? It's green square. It's called Broderick's Mint Tiff Toff in the Tuffin Handmade Belgian Chocolate Biscuit Cake. 
I thought we were still finishing off the first box. I have to find my second box. Oh, okay. I mean, I can find my second box. It's just gonna take me a second. I kind of have my heart set on this. It's got like uh, hipster pictures on it, which I don't like. Let me. Okay, I have my second box. <laughs> it's, a, it's a little green. Ah, haha. So I found it. So if you don't know what we're doing, Chris hates American Kit Kats, and our friend Dario Gonzalez sends us candy from all over the world to review. Dario is Chris's co-podcaster for Eat It and Beat It, and this week we there's two different kind of Roderick bars. Hold on. Apparently there's two of them. Get the oh, mint there's tip orange... top in the toughen. There's an orange one and a green one, so we'll do the green one. Um, since you have that one out. Uh, this is a Broderick bar, bar from Ireland. Okay, I need to put this somewhere so I don't mix it up with my other chocolate. Give me a second. <laughs> oh. Hold on, I gotta get mine open. I had to it's find good. my box. It's good. It's oh, good. good. Oh my god. It's a chocolate and textured. It's like, it's like, it's almost like chocolate graham cracker crumb pie crust with some nuts in it. With like and a then, layer of chocolate on top? And a layer of soft chocolate on top. It's gorgeous. Oh my goodness. Okay. I'm glad we didn't do one of the sake Kit Kats that it's we It's a little have. crunchy. But it's not too crunchy. It just kind of melts in your mouth as you mm -hmm. chew it. Oh, man. Mm -hmm. Like, like graham cracker pie crust. Mm. <laughs> I like mm. the side of the package says, mini tiff toff in the toughen. Oh, they're just trying to be all fancy and quirky. And then the art on it has those two, like, weird, the hippie character that's just ahead and the Batman sort of character and stuff like that. Whatever. And it, and it says the cake the cake crusader yeah that's 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 marketing people i don't taste any mint in it though oh is it supposed to be mint it says mint on it where hang on maybe i'm wrong I just no say... never mind it's mini mini oh yeah because i just mini see handmade belgian chocolate biscuit cake okay okay mm. Mm. I would hope that the mint wouldn't be that subtle. <laughs> that would be yeah. subtle mint that you can't even taste it. Mm. Oh, man. Thank you, Dario. Oh, my God. I love the Tiff Toff. Mm. If, Dario, if you just want to send us some of those for fun, that'd be fine. Mm. Just send us hundreds of Tiff Toffs. <laughs> well, did you have anything else? This is a mini Tiff Toff. There's bigger ones? I wonder what a maxi tiff top is like. Hold like on. it's like a case of diabetes is what it's like. Tiff top. Diabetes. Tiff top in the toughen. Mm-hmm. Uh images. Do they have they do have bigger ones, Chris, and they have bags of mini tiff tops. Mm, Jesus. They come in bags. Ugh. Oh my god. I wanna swim in tiff tops. Mm. They can tip off my toughen. What's <laughs> <laughs> my poor attempt at doing a Yoda? Anyway, Chris, did you have anything else for Rebel Assault? I do not. All right, well, where can people find you? Mm, perfect timing, as I've just finished off my tip top in the toughen. 
You can find me at tutufreaks.com. That's our website. Got tons of podcasts on there. We're still working our way through the Two True Freaks comics draft where people are picking their fantasy Justice League. And next we'll be going into a uh, action hero um, series where we pick our our action team of, of action heroes. But there's so many podcasts there. So many tons and tons of podcasts. Posting them up pretty much every day. Something new is coming on. Mondays, sometimes you'll get three or four podcasts. It's crazy. You can go to um, that page and you can sign up for our RSS feed there. You can go to iTunes and do the same. If you want to see what we're up to, you can also go to Facebook. Because I know some of you are on Facebook. And we've got the Two True Freaks podcast. Which keeps you up with what shows are going on. And we've got the Two True Freaks cantina. Which is sort of our cool hangout joint. And we are also on Twitter. And thank God that we have Gene Gene, the Twitter machine, to do that. Because I have no stomach for Twitter. Thank goodness we have Gene. Gene! Gene! And uh, yeah, that's it for me. What about you, Hope? You can find me at Jedi on Twitter. I run our Twitter account. You can also find me at Hope Molinax on Twitter. I, of course, have my website, geekygirlexperience.com. And Chris and I have another podcast over there called Hope Make Chris Watch Cartoons. And we are currently going through Gravity Falls right now. And that is public now, guys. Like, you can see that on iTunes and on Podbean. But if you want to get caught up, if you listen to us publicly, you're actually two months behind. Um, My patrons on Patreon actually are through episode five right now. And on iTunes, they're only on episode two. So you can get all caught up there. And I also write fan fiction on Archive of Our Own. Go Seriously, guys, go check out Hope Makes Chris Watch Cartoons. We're having a blast over there. Chris has a lot of knowledge about, like, sheep shears and weird shit. (laughs) I... You know, that actually is probably my favorite thing about us doing Hope Makes Chris Watch Cartoons is when, when it comes to Star Wars, like usually when we talk about like other memories of life, they're related to Star Wars. But Gravity Falls is such like a slice of life show that I feel like we get to talk about other things from our life. And like like you whipping out like you actually have this vast knowledge of sheep shears and that you keep them over your desk or something. I never knew that in like 10 years of knowing you. So that's actually one of my favorite things about podcasting the show with you is because I'm like learning like random snippets. Those sheep shears might be the first antique I ever bought. Yeah, and I'm in, I'm enjoying you that the, because you I'm learned getting... the Jamo song, you learned about my keyboard, you learned I play banjo. Who knows what's next? I actually knew you play banjo and I just forgot. That was on me because yeah. the moment I was like, oh yeah, I did know that. But yeah, like, learning about the Jamo song. Like, that was... I just edited that episode, actually. <laughs> um, learning about the Jamo song was such a fun surprise. So, I, that's that's been the fun of doing Gravity Falls with you, because uh, I, I just... I feel like I'm... After ten years, I feel like I'm learning new things about you, and that's really exciting, and I enjoy learning about my friends. So, yeah. Go listen to Hope Makes Chris Watch Cartoons. We're up on iTunes. Write me an iTunes review. Tell your friends! <laughs> we also talk about Gene a lot, so Gene, you, you get talked about on that show. <laughs> Gene. Yeah. Well, he can get it for free now, so he can listen. Yes. But it would be really awesome, guys, if you go on my Kofi and like buy me a coffee. That'd be really great too. 
<laughs> Hope needs coffee. Oh, oh, Hope needs... Most, most people need coffee. If Hope didn't get unemployment today, Hope was two weeks away from draining her savings account to pay for bills. So <laughs> Please come support Hope. Hope is a you. desperate child right now. I'm not below begging. Anyway, so next week, on that note... Um, we yeah. are going to be talking Jedi Knight with Miss Candace from Geeky Girl Gab. Guys, go check out Geeky Girl Gab. They're really great over there. We're going to have a guest next week. We're going to have fun doing it as we cry over Kanan's death. Bye. And, well, this, this showing out on a downer. <laughs> <laughs> Cut it there. Visit our website at twotruefreaks.com. Two True Freaks is always spelled T-W-O-T-R-U-E-F-R-E-A-K-S. You can email Two True Freaks directly at twotruefreaks at gmail.com. Two True Freaks and all of its excellent affiliates are available on iTunes, and you can choose to subscribe to either the entire network if you wish, or pick whichever individual shows you want to follow. We have so many shows to choose from, there's just bound to be one that appeals to your particular fandom. Just search Two True Freaks with an exclamation mark at the end, space, and the number two. You can find Two True Freaks on Facebook. Just search for Two True Freaks. Dumbass. If you ever leave your house and you actually have friends, why don't you tell them about Two True Freaks? If you've enjoyed our show, please, won't you take a moment to rate us on iTunes? That helps others find the show, too. Thanks for listening. And join us every Monday for new episodes of Two True Freaks. That is freaky.